always glad to receive what he has to share. So will you welcome Dr. Sanders as he comes soon. Thank you, David. God bless you. Thank you. Love you, brother. One of the main reasons that our nation is in the moral mess that it is tonight is that every city in America doesn't have a school like this one. Yes, you can say amen to that even though it's a formal graduation. This is a unique school and it should be a unique school because it honors God. It articulates a Christian worldview. It inculcates that worldview in young people and is raising up warriors for the king. And that's what this nation needs. Not a bunch of leftist, culturally Marxist public school graduates. Oh, don't, don't, don't get mad now. You'll have a cardiac arrest later if you get mad now. <laughs> High praise to you graduates. I was uh, born into a devout Christian home. And my parents sent me to what was at the time, and perhaps still is, uh, one of the most prominent and best Christian day schools in all of the country. So I know something of both the difficulties and uh, the great privileges of a Christian heritage and Christian education. And by God's grace, I am a product of both of those things. And I'm very proud of it. About two days after uh, Pastor Shea asked me to speak, I was reading in my morning devotions and the historical books of the Old Testament, and I was in Second Chronicles chapter 12, and I believe the Holy Spirit struck my heart and said, you need to preach on that. So far be it from me to resist the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do that tonight. I'd like you to turn then, if you have your Bibles, and this is a Bible-believing school and church, therefore you probably should have your Bible, even if it's only on your phone, and turn to Second Chronicles, not one of the better-known books of the Bible, but a vitally important one, Second Chronicles chapter 12. I'm going to preach just briefly about this man, you probably see it there in the heading, Rehoboam, the third king of Israel, actually the first king of Judah, was David's grandson, Solomon's son. It was under his reign that the Jewish kingdom was sadly, tragically divided because of his father's sin. Solomon left the faith under the influence of pagan wives that he had married, and God said, I'm not going to judge you in your time, but I'm going to judge the kingdom in your son's time, and the Lord divided the kingdom, tragically, this one great kingdom, people of God, divided in two for hundreds of years because of his sin. And Rehoboam, for the first three years, despite some folly in dividing the kingdom, listening to young men's advice rather than that of older men, was basically a good ruler, followed essentially the law of God for three years, And then we come to chapter 12, and I'd like to read the first 14 verses and make several brief, strong points. When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, he and all Israel with him forsook the law of the Lord 
And it came about in King Rehoboam's fifth year, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and the people who came with him from Egypt were without number. The Lubi and the Suki and the Ethiopians, he captured the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Then Shimeah the prophet, came to Rehoboam and the princes of Judah, who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus saith the Lord, you have forsaken me, so I also have forsaken you to Shishak. So the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, so I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some measure of deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by means of Shishak. But they will become his slaves so that they may learn the difference between my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's palace. He took everything. He even took the golden shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made shields of bronze in their place and committed them to the care of the commanders of the guard who guarded the door of the king's house. As often as the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards came and carried them and then brought them back into the guard's room. And when he humbled himself, the anger of the Lord turned away from him so as not to destroy him completely. And also conditions were good in Judah. So King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamu the Ammonitess. He did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Listen, please, to these truths of application on the basis of that rather severe passage. First, a faithful start doesn't guarantee a faithful end. I want you young people, all of you, and you older people to understand that. You may start out by serving the Lord as well you should and getting awards as well you should and being educated in a Christian school like that, like this, creme de la creme, the highest, the best, as it were, and still end up and turn your heart away from God and apostatize. That happened to some extent to Rehoboam's grandfather, David, though not severely, and he repented. It happened especially to his father, Solomon, and it happened to him. Oh, the Bible is filled with many of examples, history too, of godly people who subsequently departed from the faith. Now you would think the time to do that would be when you were young, when things were difficult, when it's very hard, when you're just starting out, when you don't have much money. But that's not what the Word of God says. It says in verse 1, when the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong. That's when Rehoboam turned his back on the Lord. Young people, do not one day grow and become successful in material things and other things 
God's blessing being poured out on you and then think that you can turn your back on the Lord and not recognize all that he's given you and all that he's done for you, that he can take away as quickly as he gave it, as he did to Rehoboam. I must say, however, that not just those in old age, but young Christians are leaving the faith, leaving the faith in multitudes today, reared in Christian homes, even in Christian schools. It breaks my heart. It breaks God's heart to abandon such a heritage. For you one day to say, well, I don't know about that stuff I was reared in. I think I can play fast and loose. I don't have to abide by God's sexual standards, sex within marriage. I don't have to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I can live for wealth and entertainment, and it won't get too bad. And turn your back on this. That is the highest form of betrayal and ingratitude. When his kingdom was established, he turned his back on the Lord. A faithful start doesn't guarantee a faithful end. Second, our influence is far greater than we know for both good and for ill. Did you notice again in verse 1? Were you reading it carefully? Were you thinking about it? When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, he and all Israel with him forsook the Lord. How would you like to stand before God one day? Rehoboam, the king of Israel. It wasn't enough that he should apostatize. It wasn't enough that he should abandon the Lord. He influenced all those in Israel, in Judah, his area, and perhaps many in the northern kingdom to turn their back on the Lord and become idolaters. Oh, the heavy responsibility of leadership in the family. You husbands and fathers, what a responsibility you bear. You don't have a right to live your life any way you want to live your life because everything you do and everything you say influences your children, influences your wife. Parents, the same thing. Moms, everything you say and do influences for good or ill. The same is true in the church, leaders in the church. Men today leading the church of Jesus Christ. Women today, some of them leading the church of Jesus Christ, leading them away from biblical truth. They will stand before God one day on that terrible betrayal. And that's true also in the state of our politicians, and it's true in business, and it's true in culture. But it's true not merely of leaders. Everybody has influence. Everybody here has influence. And if your attitude is, well, I'm very small, I'm insignificant, I'm the least one, the least in Christ's Dominion Academy, or I'm the least in this church, I have no influence, you are sadly mistaken. Everybody here has influence, everybody here has someone that's watching you, that is influenced by your actions, influenced by your words, influenced by decisions that you make. And you say, I don't want to have to carry that heavy burden. I want to be able to do what I want to do without it impacting anybody else. I'm sorry. That's not possible. You're responsible for your impact on other people. There's a wonderful positive side to this. Oftentimes, just a small word of encouragement to somebody who is 
disappointed or very sad, maybe going through a heavy trial. Just a small word of encouragement or taking them a meal or something very minor can completely transform their life. Just a small word. You have more influence than you know. Use it to glorify God. The third truth I'd like to articulate to you this evening is that serving God is much easier than serving Satan and the world. Did you notice that fascinating text in verse 8? The reason that God sent this Shishak, pagan king of Egypt, he says, they will become his slaves so that they may learn the difference between my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. Implied there is the idea that Rehoboam was attitude was, oh, obeying the law of God, this business of serving him and him alone, the one true God, when all of the nations surrounding us serve many gods, polytheists. That's a heavy burden. People look upon us as unique. They think we're strange. They think we're weird to serve this one Yahweh, this one true God. It's such a heavy burden, I don't think I can bear it. And to follow his law and his sexual standards, oh, I don't know if I can bear that heavy burden. And God responded by saying, fine. We'll see if you can carry the burden of the king that comes in and completely strips your country of everything. How would you like that? My friends, serving God is much, much easier than serving the world, the flesh, and the devil. God says to his people, I'll bless you in unimaginable ways. Look at your father. Look at what God did for Solomon. Oh, read sometime. In Kings and Chronicles, the great blessings of Solomon, God poured out his blessings unimaginably upon Solomon. Wealth beyond measure. So much so the nation surrounding would come in awe and they would say, what is this great God that you serve? All of these remarkable blessings. He must be some great God. Because Solomon was faithful for a time. But no, they'd rather have their own rebellious autonomy, and so would we very often. And I warn you, if you want to be liberated from the law of God, the way of God, the church of God, the biblical gospel, I would like to warn you that you can be liberated and will suffer the consequences. The burden of serving the Lord is much lighter than the burden of not serving the Lord. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You think God's way is hard? Just try the devil's way. Think of Samson and the word of God whose eyes were gouged out by the Philistines. Of Saul who was tormented by a demon. Of Absalom who was suspended from from a branch by his hair as the enemy impaled him with darts. Of Jezebel thrown from an upper story window and her death's blood licked up by the dogs on the ground. You think God's law is burdensome? How about the burden of drug addiction? How about the burden of a ripped up family and divorce? How about the burden of financial ruin? How about the burden of a diseased mind? How do you like that burden? The old timers used to say this. I hope that you'll remember this. Sin always takes you farther than you're willing to go. 
It always keeps you longer than you're willing to stay, and it always costs you more than you're willing to pay. Before you go down that road, remember that. Next. God's forgiveness almost never includes restoration to former glory. Now, I want you to understand this point. Did you notice what it says? I won't read the verses again. When he humbled himself, God did forgive Rehoboam. And he says, I'm going to give you a measure of deliverance. But he did not restore the glory of Solomon. You understand that, don't you? Sometimes if we sin, we can get ourselves into so much trouble that we can later repent, but God will not get rid of the consequences of your sin in many cases. I'll never forget what my godly father taught me. He says, son, you can get out of God's will and go into a bar and get drunk and get into a fight and get your eye knocked out and God will forgive you, but he won't put your eye back in. Oh, I think about the great humiliation. Did you notice what it says there? Solomon had great, great golden shields on the wall of the temple. And when he would come, it sounds as though he would have an entourage, perhaps blowing horns as he went. The king is coming to the temple. And there were these great opulent gold shields on the door showing the greatness of Israel and the greatness of the king. And even the greater greatness of the sovereign God, the sovereign triune God. But because of his sin. The Egyptian king came and stripped out all of that gold, took it all away. And then notice what happened. They didn't have any precious metals with which to substitute. They substituted basically bronze, which is sort of copper and tin, just a very cheap substitute. And they made those. And notice it says here that whenever the king would then go to the temple, his guards would grab these substitute shields, as it were, out of the hedge. Grab them out of perhaps a little room, a little guardhouse, and rush up real quickly and put them on the door. Perhaps through fear that Shishak the king would, or his spies would report back. And then after he was done visiting, they would run and get these shields and go hide them. Oh, what a fall, what a humiliation from Solomon's day. I hope that's a disincentive to living a life of sin. The question isn't whether God will forgive you, but I can assure you that God will almost certainly not restore to you the things, most of the things that you have lost. You'll still have to live with those things. Here's the final point I wish to make. If you have been asleep thus far, this is the point you need to hear. If it's the only one that you hear, hear this one. If we do not seek the Lord with all of our heart, we will end up living an evil life. Now, did you notice that text, verse 14? It says of Rehoboam, the last verse that I read, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. See, he was not like Ahab. The Bible says of King Ahab, king of Israel, later, That he sold himself. He sold himself to evil. He intentionally set out to defy God, Ahab. The Bible doesn't say that about Rehoboam. He didn't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to think of all of the ways that I can defy God and lead Israel to apostasy. No, the Bible never says that about him. But he also didn't set his heart to seek God. 
There are many Christians, professed Christians, whose attitude is this. Well, I don't want to live a life of abject sin. I don't want to have a broken family. I don't want to commit adultery. I don't want to get involved in drugs and drug addiction. But on the other hand, I don't like this business of what's being taught at this school and this church. It's a little too radical for me. Serving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, might, and mind, that's a little too radical for me. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm not going to really seek after the Lord, but on the other hand, I'm going to avoid all this sin over here, and I'll be just fine. Except for one thing, you won't be just fine. Particularly today, our culture is so evil that nothing less than a full-hearted, white-hot devotion to God, reading the Word of God, spending time in prayer, a great zeal for God and a zeal for His church, anything less than that will lead you on a path to evil. You say, well, I don't like that. I don't want to be totally devoted to the Lord. It takes too much time and effort. I don't want to be considered a fanatic by my relatives and friends. On the other hand, I don't want to get involved in any, in any evil. But, but the fact is, if you don't set your heart on God, you will eventually. Satan is much smarter than you are, and he'll get you there eventually. My friends, if you go north of here on 79, Route 79 and hit Route 80, and you turn and you go west, you might not end up in California. You might not. But if you go up and travel east, you'll never get there. Don't start down a path of disobedience and playing fast and loose with the law of God, with the word of God, with prayer, with the church of God, and expect that everything will be okay. Everything will not be okay. And you talk to Pastor Shea or any other seasoned Christian and they'll tell you case after case after case after case of people who thought they could be lax and lackadaisical and diffident about the faith and devotion to the Lord and still expect everything to turn out well. It will not turn out well. If you say, Andrew, well, this was not a very positive message. No, but it was a truthful message. And it was one we all need to hear. In review, a faithful start doesn't guarantee a faithful end. Our influence is far greater than we know. Serving God is much easier than serving Satan in the world. God's forgiveness almost never includes restoration to former glory. And if we do not seek the Lord with all of our heart, we will end up living an evil life. Father, we ask that you would affix these truths to our hearts, not only to Josh and Bella, but everyone here and all of those listening digitally or watching on Facebook, as the case may be. Affix it to my heart. Affix it to the heart of the oldest one here, the youngest one here. May we learn these lessons from the tragic life of Rehoboam, a man who started well but did not end well. May that not be true of any of us here. We pray, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord and King, who alone has dominion. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Thank you.